Escape from Plan A. One, and I'm a huge fan of his. But really, I'll be honest with you, I knew that he was an eccentric, and I, <clears throat> I knew that he, from the beginning, that he would have this Japanese fetish, and um, this, this <laughs> Ayn Rand fetish, and the socks sort of came along a little bit after that, based all based on real people. Um, but, uh, you know, people get to a certain point and they get enough money and they think they're really smart and they get to do whatever they want. And that's sort of who Bird is. Hey, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. Uh, I guess we should get the housekeeping out of the way first. Um, again, thanks. Uh, podcast has been growing. I think one of the reasons it's been growing is just because uh, more and more people are, are rating it. And the more you rate it, uh, the more it seems to uh, propagate. So if you, you know, the, the, the best thing, if you enjoy the podcast, the best thing you can do um, is rate it in iTunes or, or whatever. Um, I think we're on Spotify now too, right, uh, Mark? Yes, we um, are. That's excellent. Um, so with that out of the way, um, and also feel free, uh, we love feedback and everything. So if you want to, if you want to uh, contact us, um, our email address is editor.planamag at gmail.com. Uh, okay. So, uh, I guess the topic for this week is about the, the, the just incredible amount of influence that Japanese culture has made, uh, has had, has had in America over a long time. And something that if you just pay attention, if you just like kind of keep your eyes open to it, it's kind of incredible how Japan might, I, to me, might be the most influential country outside of the United States in terms of, um, you know, in terms of uh, influencing American culture. And it's just a phenomenon that I found quite striking because no one ever really talks about it so uh we've got cs cs how's it going how's it going everyone uh and diana hey everybody diana this is like the third pod you've been on right uh-huh yeah and uh our old standby mark mark how's it going hey. man how's everybody all right so yeah so i just wanted to kick this off because uh we've been uh, chatting about it in in the discord and stuff for a bit and I noticed it because this, I, it just came up again this morning. I was like just watching TV and everyone's been talking about this Marie Kondo home <laughs> uh, decluttering program that she has. And now it's a show on Netflix that's being widely watched. It's not the first Japanese show to really make it big. Um, Terrace House would be another example. But you've got Marie Kondo sort of doing a Netflix special uh, solely aimed at Americans. She doesn't speak any English. Uh, and it's striking because it's like, have you all seen this? Have you all seen like just even the first episode of, of the Marie Kondo show? Or I've watched a couple episodes, yeah. Yeah. It's striking, right? Like, doesn't she almost, without even saying a word of English, basically act as a kind of like family therapy for this like white American family in that first episode and, and in the second is actually a, a Asian American family yeah I mean they're in they're in tears <laughs> despite her like not anything. saying any she, yeah she doesn't say anything particularly profound she's just she kind of states the obvious and they just take it from there you know yeah it's really striking and uh, it's just one small example I think of this incredible this very odd I think um openness that americans have to japanese culture and um it's not something that totally goes both ways like i don't think japan is as enamored with american culture as we sometimes wish right. they were or hope they were uh you know they've they've taken some of our stuff like jazz i guess is a big thing over there um but it's a, like if you go to japan um like if you go to tokyo it doesn't it really doesn't feel like Americanness has penetrated uh, very much over there at all. I don't know if. Well, I mean, I think it's also a thing of they're enamored with the United States, but they're also enamored, or like enamored with uh, Germany. They're enamored with China. They're enamored. They're, you know, it's. I think it's a little bit more even-handed in the platter that they pick off of, whereas we're a little bit more hyper-focused in Japan. They seem to be more enamored with above all themselves. I feel like Japan, yeah. like a lot of Asian cultures, 
first and foremost is enamored with its own culture yeah and, and its own history which is not something that's true here uh is is i think the big difference and um the other thing that kicked off my noticing this uh trend was um and it goes way way back all the way i think to like matthew perry in the in the black ships and stuff but like have you all seen big hero six that yeah. disney mm-hmm. animation yeah, yeah okay. i really like that movie it's a good movie yeah big hero six to me was like an attempt to basically imagine a future where japan uh that where america has basically turned into japan and it takes place in san francisco which without any explanation has basically turned into tokyo and it, yeah. they renamed the city san Francisco. that's the name of the city <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the main oh, the main geez. character is a Japanese uh, is a Japanese kid, and as far as I know, his parents are they, you know every time there's like an Asian kid, they always kill his parents off. But like, his, or his parents are nowhere to be found. Like the, like the Asian kid and up. Like he went missing. He went on a fucking balloon trip with like this An crazy old, old white, white guy. Yeah. The house fucking floated away to like <laughs> Peru. And everyone, and and everyone was like, oh, there's oh, another, another Monday. Like, what, what? The kid has no yeah. parent. Like, what the fuck? It's like another Monday at Bob's house. It flew oh. away again. He was gone for like a good solid week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nobody, there's no like fucking, you know, uh, APB out for this kid. Anyway. So Big Hero 6, they kill his parents off, I guess, but like they show, they do show a picture of him with his parents when they were young and they're, they're dressed up in like totally traditional Japanese uh, clothing um, and uh, there's no context for that. Like it, it just doesn't explain any of that at all and it's just – it's a striking thing and then and it goes back like when I was in L.A. I went to tour – you know Procter & Gamble? Yeah. Uh, P&G. Mm-hmm. So there's a house there called the Gamble House, which belonged to the F- Gamble family in Pasadena. And if you go on it, like the entire thing was about how this element of woodworking was taken by the architects. They learned it from Japan. This was from Japan. Oh, this is from Japan. The whole house is basically like an appropriation of Japanese architecture. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, same thing. He was completely enamored with uh, Japanese architecture, Japanese art, Japanese culture from top down. And it's just, uh, it just has been making me think about how ridiculously influential Japan has been in America in all aspects. And we rarely ever talk about that. Like, it's not something that we, um, seem to be quite aware of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, it is very pervasive, uh, and I'm wondering why Japan specifically, right? Because you could think back on there are a lot of older cultures and a lot of um, you know places in the world that you know we could take inspiration from, but why Japan specifically? Because it seems fairly um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, it's um, not familiar, right? It's sort of alien to America. Yeah, uh, for and, sure. And, I think and, that's and American history, right? Like, it's not quite like any European culture, right? Uh, which is the main source of American uh, uh, histor- history um, because of just the, the, the um, Im- immigration and how America became to be a country. So, like, why Japan specifically, do you think? I mean, I think I think this is a thing that it's heavily predicated on the historical context here too because in terms of like uh western imperialism into asia japan was really kind of like the the final i guess frontier that never really like bringing it back like matthew perry and like uh how like japan kind of entered the international stage and how japanese nationalism came to proliferate and like japanese imperialism after that like, that, that was really something that, like, we began the steps to, like, turning this into, like, part of American Manifest Destiny, but we're mm-hmm. never totally successful in. And, in fact, like, Japan proved itself through, like, its relationship with Russia to be, like, and, I mean, just in general, it's, like, history of imperialism to be as, like, shitty and aggressive as, like, Western, its Western counterparts. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that... uh 
makes it appealing in this way that I think it's like kind of like the cheese on the string that like we're always kind of chasing. Uh, so you're saying as... it's still a it represents a frontier still to us like the yeah, fact, I mean, like once we hit the Pacific Ocean, we still had manifest destiny in our blood to keep going west all the way across the Pacific and to Japan, but we never really fully were able to penetrate. Yeah, I mean, over the way we thought it's we like would. Japan picked it up on it so quick through like the Meiji Restoration to like uh, westernize rapidly that mm-hmm. we never had like full complete control in like kind of uh, satiate that appetite for like our place in Asia, whereas like other European uh, imperial powers were very successful in that venture with like through the Opium Wars. I think the uh, United States never really like the United States was poised to like make Japan like our like slice our like foothold into the region. And we mm-hmm. weren't, we weren't, we were never like totally successful in that. I mean, you could argue with uh, the end of World War II that was true, but the relationship has always been like much more different than say like, uh, you know, Europe and China or something. Um, but I mean, even then I, I think it's like the, you have to take that, like there's a historical context, but there's also like the current cultural context. And I think it's interesting to see, mm-hmm. uh, the focus from Japan moving on to like Korea as like kind of the new foreign unknown that we're kind of interacting with in this cultural moment uh, to like bring up how like uh, the original Blade Runner had like, uh, like a much more Japanese aesthetic, but in the the sequel, it uh, uses a lot of Korean script. I think that yeah, is... Yeah, yeah. And that it, was in Cloud Atlas, too, where, where where you would expect that in the past they would have had a Japanese megacorp uh, you know, Ghost in mm. the Shell style in, in right. Cloud Atlas, it's Korean. Right. But they, they don't make any difference. I mean, they just they just basically take whatever cyberpunk fantasy they have of Japan and just sw- switch the script out so that it's Korean. But there's yeah, really yeah, it's no totally other distinction. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. You know, the other thing is like, that's interesting. So to some extent, you're saying it might be colonialist fantasy, like un... Mm. Uh, un... Un... Um, unfulfilled unsatisfied yeah unfulfilled yeah unsatisfied or unfulfilled colonialist fantasies and we kind of have to just sort of uh but 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 then why do we want japanese like we usually that means we want to sort of impress our culture upon someone else but here it, it almost seems like we want them to impress their culture on us and to the extent that and i just this is another example by what i mean if you start connecting the dots here, like we've made in the recent year or two, two Japanese movies <laughs> that were entirely American. One was <laughs> Kubo and the two strings oh, that's or true. whatever. Yeah. Right. It's just a fake Japanese movie that we just fucking made up, right? Uh, wholesale out of claw. Like we just fucking made up a Japanese movie. And the other was Isle of Dogs. We just made it up. And uh, it's, it, why would we do that? We don't really do... Like, think about it. We don't make fake Chinese movies. We don't make fake French movies, as far as I can tell. I uh, mean, maybe I'm taking this, like, a, a bit literally with Manifest Destiny. But, I mean, if we are see ourselves in the context of, like, whiteness being, like, in the United States, always being in the shadow of Europe, I think, mm-hmm. like, it makes sense with, like, Manifest Destiny to see moving westward as progression. And maybe in like some weird uh, like colonial context, like we see Japan as like that next step in uh, progression. Yeah, it's really it's really strange. Um, I I felt like watching the Marie Kondo show this morning. There was it it started to clue me in on kind of what was going on. So she the first episode she goes to like uh, a, a, a very night a, a very sort of average but nice. Uh, completely likable white American family with two kids, two, two toddlers and stuff. Um, and they have a nice, you know, decent house, kind of small, but it's like full of baby. Cl- it's not horrible. They're not like pack rats or anything. And they seem to, uh, Marie Kondo doesn't really do much. She just kind of is like, yeah, go through your clothes, uh, sort the shit that you don't want, throw it out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the, she begins it by saying like, before we begin, I want everyone to just, let's just take a moment to thank the house for all the protection that it provides and all the things that it does for us. 
and let's just take a moment to really appreciate the house. And uh, they just like the woman, the the wife, the uh, the the mother of the house. She just starts crying, and I was like, they need like Japanese people as we need Japanese people as uh, like family therapists or something. Like there's some it it's it started to dawn on me like there's something missing in American culture, and perhaps specifically white American culture, but I think it's American culture generally that um just has these huge gaps missing in it like and 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 i'm not i'm not talking about like food you know and i'm not i'm not really talking about aesthetics though we often miss i think we mistake it for aesthetics mm-hmm. but what we really want is to have like some kind of spirituality that is not bogus uh do you know what i mean and so we're yeah. oh yeah we we can't go religious like we're not going religious but we also, well, yeah. you know, like yeah, in this sort of like new age, like we kind of need some kind of spiritual guidance. And I feel like we look towards Japan for it, for better or for worse. But in this That's, case, I feel like, you know. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, like at, when you say that, it makes me think of like Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and how he talks about like literally every culture has these origin stories, these myths, and like how that's basically like a hu- like a fundamental human need that people have just in general. And usually people have, you know, go to like religion or like history to have, you know, fulfill that. But America is, there's a separation of church and state, so you can't officially have that. And um, like kings and queens a lot of times, will fill that role because like the monarch is there by right of God. So it's an extension of religion, but we have presidents who are voted in, you know, in a democratic process, which is like more fair, but it kind of uh, doesn't have that same like mythos or like cultural significance as a monarch. Yeah. You can't really, yeah. You can't really like, uh, construct a, a national identity around presidents that change every four years <laughs> right yeah i mean the, the thing that's interesting too is that like i think the idea like that it works so well in the american context of both the left and the right is like on, on the left it's like a lot of like uh selling the culture like there's that series of videos on youtube that like is talking about like japanese craftsmanship as like the pinnacle of like perfection and whatever that the 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 jiro dreams of sushi genre yeah yeah that that sort of thing like i think that's very acceptable in the left but on the right you also have a simultaneous acceptance of like japanese nationalism as like being a like one of like the bastions of like a racially uh homogenous nation that is like extremely successful Totally. And I think that like that image makes it such an appealing thing in the United States because it's like here's something we can actually agree on that this place is like doing something right and maybe something that we are actually like kind of wanting in our own but are unable to recreate. That is, you know, okay, so it, it's coming. That's the other really fascinating thing about our lust for Japan is uh, when when the uh, alt right first became like a big story. Uh, they sort of identified Richard Spencer and a bunch of his cohorts as sort of like the leaders of this new movement. And one thing that the press kept picking up on was that all these people would vacation in Japan. They all like, some spoke Japanese fluently, but a lot of them were trying to learn it. And that their adherents, the the ones who followed them, uh, were all like huge fans of like anime, anime, Mm. uh, which... (laughs) Right, and, they are. And he, They're like, he's yeah. been asked about that a lot of times. Like, you know, is is the is if for 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 everyone that calls us like we want to instate Nazism, why are we watching Japanese animation as it, you know, and 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 it's fa- it's fascinating because of all the cultures that you could draw on, it's not German culture, it's not Russian culture, it's not Chinese culture, it's not anything, but it's specifically Japan, and it's both. These crazed, you know, these white nationalists, and it's also like, you know, cultural uh, uh, people at the very apex of of American culture. Those who are making movies for Disney, or those who are elaborating a new American 
architectural style are all going to Japan. Uh, and this is a country that, you know, one of our hit songs was literally, I, I'm turning Japanese. And if you think about the, 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 the food and the way that sushi was this represented one wave and now it's ramen. And now in New York, it's like izakaya on every street. And Japan is just turning into Japanese food. Uh, both the uh, you know the high end of it and the low end of it is penetrating New York uh, really really deep, and I'm sure in the West Coast it's the same way, and it's just it's it's just crazy to me how and and Mark isn't that true of gaming too like you obviously you know oh, yeah. we we forget this gaming itself in America is Japanese import right, from the family it, it is basically yeah it, I mean yeah we. We won't get into the, all the history of it, but yeah, like J- Japan uh, created the whole idea of gaming as sort of a culture, right? In right. terms of like people coming together into areas to game, like in from the from the pachinko machines, right? Which yeah. are those machines where you have different pegs and, and you have ball and you drop the ball from the top and you guess which like basket it's going to fall into. Hey, sure, it was had, a white had, it was a white man that created Atari, but he felt it incumbent to name it a, a fake Japanese name but, like Atari. Yes, exactly. Right? It, but I mean it crazy. comes from that yeah. Japanese tradition of like that gaming tradition and then they created uh you know the super like the Famicom and all that stuff. Yeah, so yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean video gaming which is I would say one of the top cultural forces in the world at at the moment. Um, it's definitely up there with uh, uh, movies, TV, and music. Um, is Surpassing full of just with, uh, GTA being like the huge media. Oh yeah, yeah. Game. I mean, if we if we want to just talk about money, I mean, it makes more money than the movie industry, double, double. Um, yeah, so can't, it, can't be ignored. It definitely can't be ignored. But you know, it, it, but there's a similar um, uh, there's a similar. Uh, uh, phenomenon in gaming as it is in in movies that we were pointing out where you have a very asian aesthetic you know all the cities in like these future these sci-fi games um the most famous one that's kind of come out now is or soon is cyberpunk 2077 and it's set in this futuristic city but and it has all of this asian style and aesthetic and language just like in blade runner but we haven't seen any actual Asian people in any of the gameplay or the screenshots or any of that. So it's just another example of how they love to take the Asian culture, but there are no Asian people. That that is that is the thing, isn't it? I mean, Big Hero Six was the same way. Although the main character is Japanese, every other character is like white. Or yeah, black. and he's more or less stripped of his Japanese identity. Like uh, yeah. he's he's treated as a japanese american very much in, in in the sense that he's eth- he's racially japanese but mm-hmm. ethnically he's american uh yeah, and exactly. there's really no other than his brother there's no as far as i can tell there's no asian there's no japanese well, I mean, people even, in san francisco even if there are like they're all coded as white people and they're all in the same roles as would be in like a mm-hmm. white film like there's that one um asian girl who's in their uh, hero group, but she's just That's like right. a side yes. character. She has no family. She's got purple highlights in her hair, you know? Oh, yes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as they all do in the in those genres. Um, yeah, there, there, is a, there, there does seem to me to be like how maybe, – maybe it's almost like if uh, – since we, we never really were able to uh, uh, colonize Japan – that maybe the next best thing would would just be to import the environment of Japan here or something and just live within like an ersatz version of it. But yeah. there is definitely to me uh, something deeper than just aesthetics. I, I don't think it's just like we like the way Japanese food tastes and we like the way Japanese video games play. I think it goes to Diane, like kind of like what you were talking about before, like this Joseph Campbell's uh, observation about this mm. need for um an origin like a common origin uh which is funny because that's what if you go and watch blade runner that's kind of what was going on there with all like the replicant androids was in order for them to be 
like functional androids that could like replicate human you know human existence they had to implant them with fake memories mm -hmm. right that that was blade runner was like he would go around checking to see if they had they would have emotional responses to the memory that like the pre-packaged memories that they would implant in the replicants and uh the there to some extent i feel like that's what we're trying to do is like we're trying to backfill our history so that we're i don't know and i think frank lloyd wright probably went the furthest in this in developing <laughs> in trying to recreate like an ancient legacy in a way that reminded right. him of japan which was this you know usonian architecture that drew upon mayan civilization so that america sort of like you know this white settler colony suddenly just sort of reached back channeled mayan history mm. into its own yeah. so that we could have something there it can't just be blankness right right, right. Well, there's something yeah there's some there's something to that sorry go ahead dan well here's the thing it's only white culture that does white americans that desire this like black americans don't do that necessarily and like hispanic americans don't it's like i feel like it's specific to whiteness and i think it's mm. because of the way that like white people were assimilated you know they were like kind of stripped of their ethnic origins and identities to get into mm -hmm. like the whiteness of america like when i was in the midwest like all the people around me were white but they were like so into their you know like german heritage or they're like oh i'm fifth generation irish and like i love right. you know like saint patrick's mm -hmm. day or like they're just like so about whatever um artifacts that they could still hang on to um from their ethnic past that you know they still had or they felt like a really deep sense of loss if they didn't have that like um, isn't that asian americans though i mean that, that's very much the I, I feel like you're also describing something that is very much at the heart of all the discourse out there about Asian American identity and how it's lost its roots. Uh, there's there's a lot of criticism of Asian American culture as being um, a a, um, a knockoff or or mm -hmm. um, like a fantasy version of a, like true Asian culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And aren't we going through a similar process as the you know white people who have lost their European roots and yeah I I such? think that's yeah, totally that, yeah. valid and I I think it's we're just yeah. like maybe a few generations uh, later than them. There's a particular uh, like within like liberal discourse. There's like a repressive element to to like white the idea of exploring a white culture. I think, like, bringing it back to Cyberpunk 2077, uh, the developer CD Projekt Red, is that it, Mark? Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the game they did before was uh, The Witcher 3, which was, like, uh, based heavily off of uh, Hungarian... Uh, Pol Polish. Polish, Polish, right. Polish, and they got, they got a lot of flack, or there's, like, an article written in Polygon or something uh, talking about how there's no, like, POC in that game. I think it's mm -hmm. kind of it's in I mean you you can make an argument that it's like based on fantasy so you could just reimagine like people in, in like write them into that. But I think it is like it points out to this thing of like when we actually explore it, a truly white narrative uh in a like piece of media it's like we're, it's the, the because our thought is so off, oversaturated with like what whiteness is um, it seems like unacceptable to like bring any more into that, even though this is a very specific, like this is actually bringing it back to like its Polish roots. It's like context in like a European identity, but like we're so oversaturated with like what, like trying to define like what whiteness is in the United States that we have like, there's almost, there's like a pushback to actually, uh, trying to contextualize that, that I think is kind of a mistake, you know? of trying to like mm -hmm. have white people like recognize that like actually you do come from someplace that there's like history there and it's the right. fact of like that you have been so successful and predominant in this country that like you have forgotten this so wait so, so you're saying that we've just lost they've they've just been you're saying with Witcher 3 
that it's an attempt to it's an attempt to ethnicize the sort of like Polish. Well, I mean, the- like think of it in the context of like how many white people do you know when you like ask them like uh, like what what is your family's background? They're like, oh, I'm like German and like British and like you know got a little bit of like Austrian. And, oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the best answer you know? to that. Yeah, the best answer to that. I remember like I was at. I was hanging out with some friends and then um, someone asked someone else, like, what kind of, <laughs> they asked this question, but they're like, what kind of, what kind of white are you? <laughs> and he was just, and he, and he goes, it's a great question. yeah, he goes, he was, he was yeah. funny as hell. These guys, were, he was like, just Illinois white boy. <laughs> like with a touch of Arizonan. I don't know. Just fucking total white, mutt. Like, total mutt. Yeah. He, yeah. And he's, I white think. White mutt. Yeah, he's he's I think a very he he's I think someone who lays out the 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 way that I think most white Americans think about their whiteness, which is at this point, what does it matter? Like I I could tell you like I'm thirty percent. I could do the twenty three and me and tell you I'm like twenty three percent Eastern European. I got a little Nordic blood in me. I got right, I even right. got a touch of Italian in there. But what does it matter in America? But, yeah. I'm white. Like what does it mean that am I now twenty three percent? Twenty three percent of my food intake going to be Polish? You know, but, like, but isn't the thing though that it does matter because they're having to like grasp at straws to find some like kind of cultural significance that apparently is important to like have some formation of identity. My okay, so my theory on this, which I I have no support for, is that <laughs> the um, best kind of theory <laughs> is yeah, the best kind of theory is that when when America was like ascendant, which was true up until I would say about ten years ago, we were like yeah, we're ascendant. Um. It didn't is, matter, right? It didn't really matter because we yeah. we we were looking towards the future, right? And, and the future and the future was this sort of, you know, ethnic, ethnic, ethnic ethnicity less and raceless future, right? Well, it's pers- it's whatever you want it to be, right? Yeah. Like it, it it doesn't matter because the future is undefined. So everyone is thinking about their future, and there isn't so much a concern about preserving tradition. Um, what do we hold on to? But when that changes, when we start to feel, and I feel like almost everybody in America would now say this country, this culture, this civilization is now in decline, right? Uh, yeah. For better or for worse. I think that they're, that's whether that's true or not doesn't matter. It's That's how people feel. And I think when we start to realize that maybe our best days are behind us, then we have to start kind of huddling in and, and we become very inward looking. And we start to um, wonder, okay, well, what do we hold on to? Like, what what are the sacred things about our culture that we have to preserve, even though we're because we no longer have a future to live in. We have to live in the, the in the past. Like, we can never live in the present, right? Like, we're never really fully present as a people. We always have to kind of have our head either in the future or in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look in our past right now. What's going on at a broad level, you could maybe one way put it this way, is that there's really nothing in our past worthy of holding on to because if you look in if you the, the the past has been so heavily litigated over I think racism is the issue. But also yeah. sexism and also um just a lot of things. Um also our, you know, just the sort of just terrible things that we've done. We have an right. ugly past. And yeah. a very short in a very short amount of time too. Compared yeah. to a lot of uh, a lot of countries, <laughs> yeah, like, and and I think when and you know it's interesting because Japan I understand has uh, uh, alongside uh, uh, France has also talked about this, but about what the world would look like in a zero growth environment where capitalism no longer is growing, and in Japan I remember reading articles about how there were um, you know very famous or very influential politicians and cultural commentators that have been talking about this idea saying what Japan would really like to do is kind of turn inwards now and refine the culture, right? Like we're not, we're no longer holding on to these huge ambitions of the future, but what we would like to do is sort of refine our culture and, you know, take the best parts of it and make them perfect and all this stuff. And there's a little bit of like that in the American hipster craft and heritage culture that I think where, Mm. and we talked about this on this last pod, which is like, hipster aesthetics going and mining the American, the recent American past. 
to right. find like things that are iconic of American culture. And one of the things that I find troubling in that is it's always white or it's mm-hmm. assumed to be white. And um, I think that I don't know where Japan exactly fits into this, but I do think that like, it's, it's ve- part of what, um, what both Diana and CS had mentioned is definitely true. I think one is we do need that spiritual we do need some sort of spiritual content there that goes beyond just aesthetic so i think that there are people who are looking to japan as saying like oh you know they have a much healthier relationship with their things with possessions with physical possessions and and things like that and the other side of it which i think is huge and something we don't like to talk about is that japan is um a living breathing justification for ethno-nationalism that you can be ethno-nationalist to the core that japan is for the japanese and that those cannot be separated but at the same time be a modern wealthy um and liberal democratic society so japan fits all of the criteria for what we would consider a modern liberal state that we would want to be but at the same time they're extremely ethno-nationalist and i think that that is something that is just a an american dream like if we could just create an american ethnicity well and uh, i think part of the appeal of marie kondo is that uh i mean my understanding of zen buddhism is like pretty rudimentary but like it's very much about like living in the present whereas like like seeing the value of the things around you and not thinking that in the context of like this is something I'm going to deal with in the future or that these are items that are in my past. You have to think about like uh, your material reality in terms of like what you're doing now and what you should be doing now. And uh, maybe that is like something that like existentially the United States and the West as a whole is kind of, well, let's stick to the United States is like searching for and like trying oh, to like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I think sure. that's, I felt that the Americans came across in that in in this show. I've watched two episodes, including the one with the Japanese American family, which I found fascinating. Yeah, um, me too. I found that absolutely fascinating. But Americans are pathological. We are pathological in our relationship with like things. And you're right. I think it has to do with how things both were were obsessed with the past. So like we look, we take a thing and like, well, this reminds me of the past, and I, I can't, I just can't throw it away. It comes from an important time in my life. And at the same time, the other flip side is like, well, I'll never know when I'm going to need this. So why would I throw it away? <laughs> so it's like everything exists either because of its past or because like of some imagined future that probably won't come to be. Right, right. And uh, there definitely was um, a, a pathology to the American families to the extent they're so uh, they're so encumbered by the past and they're both and they're so um open they have like a such an undefined vision of the future that they basically can't throw anything out they're just, it's just like their house is just one giant memory dump uh mm-hmm. and sometimes dump. i feel like that's kind of what the american ethos is you know it's just this like violent horrible past that we don't want to think about and the american dream is this idealized future that everybody's working toward like the whole world is thinking about that and working toward it I, yeah, it, it kind of comes together. Uh, I definitely feel like what you just said kind of brings it together. Is like there is a wholesale Americanness to that, and I and the fact that it was true both of the Asian American family and the white family. Uh, what gen were drove they like? Home. Second gen, or like the they're mixture. I think the, the mother, the mother was second gen. Like her mm-hmm. family came in like nineteen sixties, yeah. Yeah, and then the father was definitely multi-generation because they actually, in going through... You should watch the episode. It's really good. Um, he actually uncovers, like, stuff, uh, his father's journal, like, up until the point of internment. And, wow. and other. It's really it's really interesting episode. And this collision of Japanese-American with Marie Kondo. Uh, and, and the right. distant... The fact they try to bridge the gap by, by dropping a little Japanese, you know, a few Japanese words here and there. But there's no connection. I mean, they're right. 
there really is like, yeah. they're, they're they're as far apart from each other as the white family was from yeah it's yeah. really fascinating to me um and okay so i want to drop this uh little bit of um framework on you that i come ac- i came across uh in talking with our friend uh trevor over at champagne sharks uh this came up we were talking about the movie burning and he had mentioned someone named edward t hall and uh, his theory about how there's such a thing as a high-context culture and a low-context culture, which I know we've talked about before. And there's also another – so that's a – it's called Edward T. Hall. His name is Edward T. Hall. He has a book called Beyond Culture. And I've read the excerpts about this part. And there's also someone named C.B. Halverson, Cultural Context Inventory, that also talks about high-context culture versus low-context. And, okay, so generally speaking, I'll just describe it to you. Generally speaking, high context would include um, is heavily weighted towards Asian, African, Arab, Central European, and Latin American cultures. Generally considered to be high context, with Japan being the most high context of all. Low context would be Western European, uh, and in particular, United States and Australia and Canada are generally considered to be the most low context culture of all. So what do they mean by context? I think generally it means, I'll describe it. So in terms of um, social association, socialization, high-context cultures, they say, relationships build slowly, then depend on trust. Uh, Individual identities are rooted in groups, family, culture, work. Social structure and authority are centralized, and it's reversed for low-context. Socialization in low-context, relationships begin and end quickly. Uh, Identity of individuals are rooted in individuality and their accomplishments. Social structure is decentralized. Um, interaction, communication, high context, nonverbal elements such as voice, tone, gestures, facial expression, and eye movements are extremely significant. Verbal messages are indirect. Communication is seen as an art form. Disagreement is personalized, which I want to focus in on that because I really agree with that. And a person is sensitive to conflict expressed in someone else's nonverbal communication. And it's the opposite with a low context. Nonverbal elements are not significant. What matters is what's said. Uh, commun- verbal communication is a way of exchanging information. Disagreement is depersonalized. The focus is on the rational and not the personal. Um, and it goes on. Um, and uh, I find that it's a pretty useful, as someone who has spent time in Asia and who I, I have sort of, Chinese grew up with a like a little bit of a bubble Chinese of Chinese culture in my own house. I do really appreciate this difference of high context versus low context. And I think it's accurate that American culture is extremely low context and that in Asia, Chinese culture, for example, would be extremely high context. And I think that what's going on is that in America, as we are starting to, um, we're starting to mature a little bit, I think, and going through some growing pains. I think what's going on right now is not the end of civilization as we know it, but growing pains as the America sort of is forced to evolve into some newer, better stage. We've got to start introducing a little bit of, we've got to become a little bit more high context. And, uh, one of the things like that I really focused on, I don't just cut in whenever you want because I, I feel like I'm going on forever. But is this <laughs> idea of just cut me <laughs> Sorry, off? Go but, ahead. Yeah. But is this disagreement is personalized in a high context culture? I think that's a big thing because I've noticed that I've had a really hard time. Uh, I have, I'm, I, I can argue with anyone in English, like no problem, right? <laughs> um, because I think that ad hominem attacks are considered out of bounds in in english discourse in american discourse i wouldn't say it's out of bounds it's just it weakens your yeah, position it's but you can call it out right you can like in a yeah. debate you could be like well you're engaging in, in ad hominem right and it's sort of assumed that that's not a good acceptable form of argument right so right. i can as only soon as you as soon idea. as yeah if you're the first side to to start that then you're already weaker in position yeah, and if you're doing it, I can just call you out on it, and you can't yep. say ad hominem is okay, right? Right, exactly. Whereas yeah, you've already noticed, your position. I've noticed in Chinese discourse, uh, I used to think it was just because my Chinese wasn't good enough, but I, I realized that I found Chinese argumentation to be 
extremely anxiety provoking and I would get emotional and offended uh, in a way that and Chinese always say that I have very thin skin because it, <laughs> because Chinese really value thick skin because to them when you're hashing it out ad hominem is totally except not only is it acceptable it's almost the primary mode of argumentation which oh. is that who you are and what your interests are and what your position in society is extremely important to the things that you're saying so you cannot strip what I'm saying away from who I am whereas in America you're that's you you you're assumed to do that you, you like what I'm saying should not be in any way associated with who I am yeah but I, I, I mm -hmm. well I think that um, that's kind of like a very white argument because like when people discuss race they're like no you have to look at the context of who this person is and that matters and that's important because you know, that matters in this society. And like a white person's argument is always like, oh, well, you know, why does this matter? And it's just like, how do you how do you even talk to them about this thing? You know, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Uh, and I think that there is uh, a um, a desire for white people to universalize their perspective and say that everything that, you know, black Americans say is tribal. It's identity mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. Everything I say, I can guarantee you, it's not because I'm a man or I'm white or I'm Jewish or anything. It's just because I've thought it through and this is right. the rational thing. That's uh, you're objectively correct or you're, you know, it's rooted in objectivity, it, not it, subjectivity. Rationality, right? Right, right. Which is exactly how Halverson is describing low versus high context is low context. Yes. Right. It just seems disagreement to me like... is depersonalized. Yeah, it just seems to me like what he's describing is like post-Enlightenment Europe. And that entire, you know, like right. everything that came from that is low context. And everything else is high context. Because like when you describe the differences, it almost sounds like the differences between men and women also. Huh. Mm, interesting. Yeah. You think so? See, uh, as in a low context culture, I'm afraid to comment on that further. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think you you're right, Diana, but only in a low context culture, right? I right, feel like yeah. in Japan or in um, well, maybe, maybe that's not true. I mean, I, th I I think there are some gendered stereotypes um, that probably that uh, that go across a lot of cultures. Um, but that's very interesting that you say that, that that like low and high is like low, low would be men and high would be women, because that's such a that's a, such a gendered stereotype in America. And I, and I say that not because I don't think it's there's a grain of truth in it. I just think it's something that if you point that out, a lot of people are going to be like, how dare you be sexist? Like, you know, women can be like men and men can be like women like that. Why? Why? Why gender, um, you know? modes of talking that's a huge difference between low and high context culture which yeah. i in my what i when i say that i basically mean my american side versus my chinese side right i i find that chinese people are extremely comfortable talking about gender because there's a there's yeah. gender is a high context construct and there is such a thing as a gender difference in the culture that isn't really sure. debated yeah. it's just assumed for better or for worse, but it's there, and there just isn't. And that's I think as China modernizes a little, uh, as as modernizing at an incredible rate, that that is starting to fall apart a little bit. I feel like it, that that may be they're maybe headed more towards low context. Like they may, their arc may be more low context than our arc may be more high context now. But starting from totally different. Start, you know, positions, I would say Chinese culture in general and a lot of high contact, like just look at, you know, a Arab culture or even European culture, really. Um, definitely Latin culture, hmm. uh, African culture for sure, is this fundamental, like that culture that deeply embedded into the culture is this notion of gender and that it's not very, it's not controversial. And for someone from low context, that's a, that's seen as just unacceptably primitive. 
and right. sexist in its own right to have any that your culture would have anything to say about gender is a violation of personal freedom mm-hmm. and well, that, make, uh, mm-hmm. that makes total sense in the context of what diane is saying with enlightenment thinking because with enlightenment you're thinking about like individual liberties you're thinking about the individual in its sole context and then, like the gender approach to that uh, sense of individuality is like like you are the individual man and then through the institution of marriage you become the family becomes like the the sole unit and so it might seem contradictory to say that like there are obvious differences but actually it's just like pointing back to like women being like part of this like property of like marriage and like the whole sense of like family as being a sense of a property of like the individual man the entrepreneurship or whatever you know I think it is in contradiction to like what this like a high context culture might be. Yeah, I think that is true as long as your 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 society is sort of like hurtling into this future. Right. And and that's all that matters is like, okay, as long as I've got my family along for the ride with me, I mean who gives a shit? Like the future is wide open. Like why do I care about mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. high you know, the high the high context culture, I'm escaping that, you know? And right, right. Now that we don't have that sort of forward-looking uh, uh, quality to our culture anymore, I think we're starting to realize, like, well, we've got nothing to fall back on to keep social cohesion. And yes, it, that's yes. The social cohesion of the country, <laughs> this is, like collective no feeling, that, is gone. Yeah, or is very, very de- de- degraded. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, so like I, I feel like obviously there, there are good things about um, quote unquote low context and focusing on individual liberties because in some higher context situations like in the Arab world or even in China and Japan, certain uh, the rights of certain very small groups uh, like homosexuals and, and things have been uh, you know not op- you know not great right they've been discriminated against. So going towards a, a more individualist structure where you're, uh, where you respect individual choices um, as valid is good. But then you're also, you also you lose this sort of spiritual connection to one another, right? Not just like the family, right? Because the family is still fairly small. But I think it seems like people are, are searching for a broader community connection that we've lost because we've also gone away in America, at least from any major religious observance. Mm-hmm. So the, the church and religion used to be what would keep like communities together uh, in different towns. And then, right. you know, there was, there was no, there was never a, a formal official religion in America. Right. But most people were Protestant. So, you know, that sort of kept the, the country together. Um, so it, I, I feel like we're in this, we're, we're looking to bridge that gap or to figure out how both the sides uh, can live together. And that goes back to what I think you were saying, Tien, about um, how Japan is sort of that ethno state, but also very liberal. Um, yeah. And they're seen as like, oh, they, they've sort of figured it out somehow. And how did they do it? Uh, and we're trying to, we're, we're trying to, uh, find the the lessons there but i also feel like it we can't just replicate what they did because they didn't go through all the steps that we did right i mean they never japan's never had you know they've never become like america in terms of having a huge amount of non-japanese living in japan so how they didn't have to go back from that and it's much smaller right but they never like we've already crossed crossed that rubicon in america like we're we're a country of many many different groups, at, at, in significant sizes, right? So like we can't just go back and like kick everyone out, which some people are trying to do, right? But I don't think there's you know, any so, like there's no possible justification for there to be an ethno state in the U.S. because of slavery and because this isn't no, our land. Like we, genocide I totally agree. I, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Oh yeah, no, and that's that's why I think yeah. they 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 look to Japan is because they're, yeah because there's they're no trying justification. To figure it out. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think, like I said, I think I think white nationalism is pure pathos. It's a feeling, 
but there's yes. no justification for it. And Japan, like, so there's no logos, there's no ethos to it. So they can't articulate, a white nationalist cannot articulate any justification or even plan to achieve it. So they just use Japan as a stand-in saying, well, it's not impossible. Right. So, you know, so right. I think that, um, I think though that maybe what they're forget, I think maybe what the white nationalists are, are kind of, um, cause there's, there's various degrees of white nationalists. I think there's those who flirt with the idea, but they're, they're, they're more, I think coming to, they're, they're starting to confront the idea of white ethnicity and the, and the ethnic longings and feelings for it. Which is just very German and scary thing, but like yeah, <laughs> but we need it. We but like you said, Diana, like you do. Yeah. Like isn't that the conflict? Like you do need it, right? Like I, yeah. I do believe in that Campbell thing that says like we all need an origin story, and it, I, it I just so th- happens though that their origin story is filled with horrific things. So. Yeah, but but I right. think I think that maybe the attempts to sort of like fabricate. Right and revise history is is obviously not the way to go but i think we do need to start to um import ideas that would work well in america and i think clearly this history of us constantly borrowing from japan but in this sort of way where like we don't actually want to become japan like i don't think it's like we it's not like Americans really love living in Japan. Most Americans that I know that have lived there move right back because they can't they can't stand it. Um, to to move from a low context to a high context culture is very difficult. Um, but the we still nonetheless keep borrowing from them, and I do think that if you look at Marie Kondo's show, I think we should title this podcast "How Marie, Marie Kondo, Kondo We Love Ex- You." <laughs> How Marie Kondo explains everything. Uh, <laughs> Part of it, I think, is it's so foreign. Japan is so foreign, and there's so few, like, it's almost as if she's like Klaatu. Do you know who Klaatu is? She's like, Klaatu oh. is the one-eyed alien from the day the Earth stood still, mm. who who comes to planet Earth to warn America to warn Earth that if it continues down its path of like, you know, fighting each right. other, that they're going to destroy themselves, and it's almost like. Like Kondo instead of Klaatu comes to America to tell us the same thing. Like you've got to to tells us things that we almost want to hear for ourselves, but we need like some outside authority to come and tell us. And J- Japan, for some reason, has that cachet, that credibility with us. That oh, there's there's we, this oh, there's this concept of like this um like ancient spirit, like in the hero's journey. That like guides the hero to figure out what he whatever he like learn whatever he needs to learn. It's in like every mm. myth. Joseph Campbell talks about it a lot. Isn't that like the Force would be kind of like that? Yeah, um, Yoda, Obi Wan Kenobi guiding mm-hmm. Yoda, mm-hmm. guiding the yeah, like a wisdom. Yeah, and we really don't have a lot of American wisdom. Um, the closest I can think of is like Warren Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> oh god but, 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 but he he's really telling you about what to do with your 401k like he's not really offering a lot of like you know um advice on how to handle ethnic divisions you know what i mean no or how no. to handle relate you know i think that um well i mean there, there's like uh i mean american individualism in love like uh ralph waddle uh emerson emerson yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a, there is that that intellectual way i think part of it is it's not really working out you know and I think that there is there's interest in what she's saying because it is something so drastically different. Well, and also I think part of it is I, I guess I was trying to say that part of it is our own recognition about how our own past is sort of corrupted and not up to task. So we uh, almost have to import it because mm-hmm. Ralph Waddle Emerson, like who's going to listen? Who who he's just going to be like another old white guy, right? Like if you put right. that out there as the guiding yeah. star, yeah, Emerson... the North Star for. Emerson and Thoreau, they also borrowed their principles from German transcendentalism anyway. Like, that's not our thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I, I think we know better than to import from Germany. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I mean, okay, I guess to some extent, though Japan's probably just as bad, but I guess yeah, what I'm yeah, saying is... Like, it is. Is, is that it, it, can't, it almost can't be white or European. I, I feel right, like we're right. at a point now where... Uh, and maybe this is like a hopeful 
uh, or, or optimistic view of what's happening is like perhaps this like uh, desire to learn from Japan is kind of an acknowledgement that we got to hit reboot and we have to kind of let something outside of whiteness come and explain us to ourselves. Like we've got to take some sort of like exterior observer, a Klaatu, to come and tell mm-hmm. us what we need to know because we cannot rely upon our own tradition because whatever that was led us here. And, right, right. You know, I, I feel if that's the case, then I feel very hopeful that this whole, I, you know, I'm not really, I don't really care much. I've never really cared much about cultural appropriation. And I, do, I understand why people do. I, I'm not saying that there isn't serious fucking problems with it. But, but, but I don't think people should have a hard line. Uh, th- there should not be a hard line stance against cultural appropriation. I right. think there does need to be some rules setting around how it should work. But I don't think we should deny that or be against Asian culture. I guess in this case specifically Japanese because it's not going to be Chinese culture. But <laughs> Asian culture having an effect on us and influencing us in a way specifically because it's a foreign influence there is a degree to which as an asian american that's a horror uh it's the perpetual foreigner it's cultural appropriation it's fetishization you know Mm -hmm. we're not gonna understand japan fully right it's it's not about that but to the extent that we want a japanese view of ours a a jap like we want to understand how japanese view us i think that that is something that we should kind of uh, welcome to with, with a qualified welcome, if you know what I mean. I mean, it, it's like a it's a sense of introspection that we are open to that really before I think we haven't been, and I don't know if I feel necessarily optimistic about it because it, it it does point to the fact that like we're kind of in the fail state right now, but the fact that mm-hmm. we're seeking solutions maybe is something to derive some some iota of hope from i I just don't see it as that unique to the american history right i think obviously uh history and the cycles of of countries um internally is is sort of accelerating Mm. um but every country has gone through these cycles of like ascension and then plateau and then decline uh, you know looking outward then looking inward and you know, that's how the, the cultural identity and the history gets built, right? It's at layers and layers of, of time and influences. So I don't I don't see America looking to Japan as, like, unique, but it is a good thing. You know, you can't just say that you're, you know, look at your own past and you're never going to look at other people. It, uh, it is good. Um, but I agree with what, Teen, you're saying is that we're, you're never going to stop people from looking at other cultures and, and taking things. So you need to set your boundaries and your rules and enforce those rules. But it, it's it's foolish to think that you can prevent anyone from doing it. Um, yeah, what, what's so the thing with that. cultural appropriation? It's like, what, when we think about that, it's like, what are you actually protecting? I mean, are, is mm-hmm. that something that you're seeing as like static and like unmoving in the past? And if that's the case, then that kind of presents a problem uh, for our art, like not even the context of whiteness, but for our, our own relationship as Asian Americans to that, like these cultural artifacts is that, you know, in Japan, in China, in the, like that, those things are changing. They are adapted. They're, That's right. you know, yeah. they have no insecurity about that being a thing that is different from, you know, 2019 to 2009 to so far back. But then when it comes to us, it's we're the ones that are like doing the hand wringing about it, like seeing white people take it and like take it in a weird, strange direction. But and I mean, there's it's not that like the hard thing about it is it's like that feeling isn't completely invalid. Uh, it's the fact that we're like a, such a distance from it that like our connection is having to be defined based on like what white people do when really like it, it it always has been a thing that is changing it's something that is adapted and revisited and we have mm-hmm. to kind of think of it in that regards and have like more confidence in ourselves in relation to it 
okay, so we're at uh, at the hour mark. Uh, great discussion, Diana. Uh, last word. Uh, American weebooism: a future in which white women wear kimonos. Uh, a future uh, in, wi- in in where American <laughs> oh, men, uh, you know, seriously embrace uh, the bushido, the code of the bushido, and uh, fashion themselves uh, modern day samurai. Good or bad? Yay or nay? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that sounds awful. But I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be optimistic about it. <laughs> So you'll, you'll I felt like it. I was in the McLaughlin group. You were like, final thoughts. <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Plan a Offlin group. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's our podcast for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, as usual, uh, if you you know enjoy the podcast, uh, best thing you could do is rate us. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you can find us now, which is everywhere. Um, and as usual, if you if you enjoy it, there's uh, plenty of other podcast content as well as uh, written articles by um, a whole bunch of uh, Asian American just people, writers, non-writers, uh, just anyone with something um, interesting to express. Um, go on over to planamag.com.